The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where this week, as every week, we are working our little tushies off to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And this is going to be one of our shows that we talked about last month. Those of you who listen faithfully or listen to the podcasts at realliferealestate.com faithfully know that one of my goals for this year was to... Uh, try and do more programs where instead of trying to get into strategies, how how do I do this? How do I do that? We talked to folks who have built businesses like you probably want to build about how they built the business as opposed to how they might have, uh, you know, done the last deal they did. And today is one of those days. My guest in the studio today is Bob Dressman. Bob is a real-life real estate investor from Cincinnati, Ohio. He's been doing this full-time since the early 90s. He has done over a 1,000 deals of such a wide variety that if you if you looked at him, you'd say, my gosh, this guy has total ADD, but there is actually a reason for that. And we are here today to talk about the philosophies, the habits, the beliefs, the learnings, the skills that have gone into those thousand deals. And you should start taking notes right now because uh, if you want to build a business like this, you need to develop some of these same skills. So, Bob, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Good afternoon, Vina. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's so it's so um, unusual to have a guest here in the studio. It's <laughs> <laughs> normally any more... I'm uh, interviewing somebody from across the country who is on the phone, but uh, this is awesome. And um, I should I should say before we get started that anybody who's in the Cincinnati area or within like a, you know, I'd say an hour drive tomorrow night at the Cincinnati RIA meeting, you're going to talk about what is kind of your favorite sort of deal right now, which is uh, what we call repair for equity, which means buy kind of ugly houses pretty cheap and sell them on financing for a whole lot more money. Absolutely. And I started doing those type of deals when you shared some of the ideas with me about four or five years ago, and it has radically changed my business and basically allowed me to do a lot less work and make a whole lot more money. Uh, And they're not tough deals. No, you have people pounding down your doors to buy them from you. They are the people by and large are much happier to be dealing with you and you're doing a whole lot less for them than you are in a lot of other type of real estate deals. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, it's, and it's not it's it's something that a beginner could easily do if they put the pieces together. I mean, you can't just you know run out and say I'm going to be a repair for equity expert. You got to put the money part together with partners or private lenders or owner financing or something, and then you got to understand what you're looking for. And that's that's all stuff you're going to talk about tomorrow night. Our listeners can get a free gas pass if they're not members. The address to do that is CincinnatiRia.com. Um, just download it or, you know, put it on your phone, print it. If As long as you put your name in there and say, I'm coming, we know you're coming. So even if it doesn't download, you're good. Uh, if you are a member and you haven't RSVP'd yet, do that at CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, the early meeting actually is very cool, too. There's uh, one session for active investors about how to use Google to build your business. There's... A lot of free and cheap stuff you can do with Google. And uh, if you're a brand new investor, there's a separate session on how to uh, choose your choose your correct exit strategy for you. So having said that, uh, give us give us a little give us a little background, Bob, on on kind of what the what the arc of your business has been. You've been doing this for like 25 years now. And I know that what you did when you started is not what you did, what you do now. And kind of big interruption happened in everybody's business during the course of that 25 years. So, so kind of, kind of fill us in on how this has gone. So I started um, back in 1990. Um, shortly after I got out of college, I um, bought my first house, um, was in the process of fixing that house up when I got laid off from my real job. Um, I then said to myself, man, the guy who sold me that house didn't seem to do too much work. It seemed to make an awful lot of money. So, so I figured I'd go into selling real estate, even though I had no idea how to do that. Um, I then ended up selling that house and going into selling HUD and VA repos. Um, selling HUD and VA repos, I um, dealt with a lot of investors. And every once in a while, I'd find a house that I thought was a great deal that I couldn't um convince anybody to buy and so i'd say well man if you guys don't want to buy it i'll just buy it myself then uh, and at that time my primary model was i would pay cash for a house fix it up and then refinance it get my money back sell it on a lease option work with people to get their credit cleaned up and then get them to buy that house that worked really well for quite a few years until the world blew up in 2007, 2008. Uh, at that time, I, they had a lot of down payment assistance through the federal government, and we worked a lot with those type of programs to sell people houses with owner financing. Um, but I really struggled through that period of time just because I wasn't getting the big checks I was for a while. And then about five years ago, uh, I converted to the repair for equity deals, and that's um, made my business much easier and more profitable. Mm -hmm. And as this time has passed as well, uh, something has happened that I, I think um, new investors have a hard time conceptualizing when they're just struggling to go even find that first deal. And that is uh, as your as your holdings have increased, as your ability to sort of do deals has increased, obviously your capital has increased as well. And a big chunk of your business these days is is actually involved in uh, partnering with or um, financing deals for other investors. Absolutely. Uh, just sort of as you get more involved and have more stuff going on, you don't have enough hours in the day to do everything you need to do. And so you need to either hire people to do that or um, 
have partners that you're working with where you're supplying the money and they're supplying the labor to get done what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so during this 25 plus years, you have, you have gone from retailing to landlording to selling properties kind of in a, in a, on a model that is owner financing an owner financing type of model while simultaneously doing loans to other investors. So there's, there's actually and, been a lot of kind of switches being a real estate agent. And I, at the beginning I was doing a fair amount of wholesaling too. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so, uh, th- this wasn't something where you just went, Oh, uh, here's going to be my strategy for the whole rest of my life. And it kind of, it kind of just stayed that way. <laughs> well, the, the thing to understand is there are different strategies that work well, depending on both what's going on in the market and where you are in your life from both a capital and time perspective and the additional resources that you haven't developed. And so when you have a lot of relationships built, working with partners can work really well. Whereas when you're brand new and just getting started, you don't have those relationships built. And if you're going to be in partnership deals, you need to be working with the right type of people that you know and trust. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that relationship thing. Um, I think a lot of times when a brand new investor looks at somebody like you, they cannot picture that you were ever like them. <laughs> they, 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 they look at you and they would say, well, of course Bob can be successful because Bob has all these people who want to feed him deals and feed him money and feed him information, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and, and I'm not like that. They, they actually, they literally think it, it is a, it is some sort of like basic difference in personality or something between you and them. And the thing is, I knew you in, in 1990 <laughs> and, <laughs> and it, it is not true uh, other than in your, in your sort of discipline, which we will come back to. It is really not true that you were a lot different than the typical n- new investor. So, what would you say to somebody who was who was going well of course bob it's easy for you because you have all these relationships that that didn't happen unintentionally it happened so the trick with so number 1 i'm an introvert and i when i'm working with coaching students i have a lot of coaching students that are introverts too and they really struggle with the building relationships but the only way that you build them is by doing things And so the number one thing that new investors need to learn is you're not going to build relationships without uh, doing things. And the other thing that a lot of new investors lose sight of is making sure that when they're doing a deal, it's actually good for everybody. And so many of my deals now come from people that I met 20 years ago and did something with. And treated well at the time or you know i always tell people you know i find it crazy that a business strategy of being nice to people and being honest and doing what you say you're going to do is that revolutionary of a business strategy Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people that in the real estate space that don't necessarily treat people like that and so when people run into that they gravitate toward that and if you're willing to help people and work with them and just do some deals and learn some things along the way. It's amazing how far that gets you over time. Mm-hmm. And and it's a it's it's a it's a process you don't even 
you can't you can't quite predict what the outcome is. So you just got to kind of do it all the time. Because if you think about it, you and I joined the local real estate group here about the same time. Other than the two of us, who is still around <laughs> from from that time? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like there were there were people who there were people who did do very, very well. I mean, they started the same time we did. They did very, very well. And now they're living in Florida or they're, you know, they're so retired that they you know, we don't see them anymore. Or they went bankrupt in 2008. Or they went bankrupt. Or I mean, you don't, you can't, yeah. you can't tell when you're starting who is and isn't going to become important to you later. So you can't try and like make those projections and go snuggle up to the folks that you think are going to be super successful. You just have to be nice to everybody. Well, and treat people well. And I often think that relationships compound in the same way money does. And so if you're building any sort of wealth, compounding is the key to it. Uh, and it's amazing how fast money grows when you compound it, but it's also amazing how well relationships compound. And I mean, just earlier this week, I got a call from a guy who was the guy who sold me my, who sold my first house for me. And he said, well, I was talking to a friend of mine who was talking about coming to you for a hard money loan. And I'm not able to do that whole loan myself, but when he comes to you, I'd like to do part of it. And it's just amazing to me that those type of things happen when you've been in the business for a while. And and I've done half a dozen deals with them over the years. And just when people begin to realize you're somebody they trust, and you also have some specialized skill and know something and are competent at what you do, it's amazing how things um, work out. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Bob Dressman about just kind of what the what what was behind his ability to start out a broke newbie like everybody else and do a thousand deals over the course of the last 27 years and continue to be active in the business. If you have any questions for Bob about anything at all, give us a call 877-772-9658. You can also send an email, just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Bob Dressman. And although Bob does teach locally on different topics over time, we're not really talking about strategy today uh, in the small sense. We're talking about strategy in the big sense of what is the difference between these folks that are you know, they learn the same thing you do. They're told to do the same things you do. They have the same access to the same people you do. And they are multimillionaires and you maybe have yet to pull the trigger on your first deal. Uh, what is the secret is sort of the question here. And if you have questions for Bob, you can call, you can call them in at 877-772-9658 or you can send an email at askvina at gmail.com. So let's talk about this discipline thing, Bob. Um, I think it is just assumed that somebody who has a large, active, successful business is like robotically disciplined <laughs> like like they must they must you know do exactly what they're supposed to be doing at all times would you consider yourself to be super disciplined i would consider myself to be disciplined but not super disciplined uh there are things that i do every day on a very consistent basis without even thinking about them 
that are things that help me succeed. Like what? Um, spend less money than I make. There are so many people that want to make big bucks in real estate, but don't realize you can't eat the seed. In order to be successful in real estate, it takes capital. All that capital cannot be borrowed. At some point, you need to bring something to the table. And the real power in real estate is being able to compound money. And if you keep spending every cent you make, there's nothing to compound. I work on a very consistent basis. I typically have a couple of hours every day where I can work on sort of high priority stuff without a lot of interruptions. For me, that's bright and early in the morning. I, um, I, one of my big problems that I have is when I have to do the same thing over and over again, I have problems because I get bored. So I've learned over the years that I need to spend the time that it takes to delegate that task to somebody else and learn that process uh, because otherwise I end up messing it up. The um, So, yeah, you absolutely need to um, be disciplined about doing the things you need to do every day or else it doesn't happen and the day slips away and you're in trouble. Okay. So disciplined in some areas, not so disciplined in others, I gather. Well, I... Uh, I love to go play with a new shiny red ball, but I need to be careful that I keep my current business going at the same time. Now, some of my success is that I can experiment with new things and learn new things and don't keep trying to do the same thing over and over again. Um, but I also learned that when I have something that's working, I need to keep doing that, even if that's having other people do that. Let's put the shiny red ball thing into back into the perspective of a newer investor, because that's the ability to chase the ball is if you really got down to why do people want to own their own businesses and be financially independent it's so i can go do the stuff i that interests me and that i find fascinating and stimulating and all of that sort of stuff but i think it's important to say that that is a you just got to stop yourself from doing it at the beginning you need to <laughs> identify the things you need to do and do them and when I'm working with people that are getting started or that haven't experienced a level of success that they need, it's not hard to identify what they need to do. It's that they're frequently distracted by everything else that doesn't need to be done. And they spend time doing that rather than the key tasks that do need to be done. And it doesn't matter if you're the one who does those tasks. It's just somebody needs to do them. And when you're when you first get started, unfortunately, you're the only one because you don't have the capital and the cash flow to hire other people to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the things that I think uh, really restricts um, new investors from being successful is that they, they, don't, they don't buckle down and learn and focus on one strategy and get good at that and let that start making some money before they move on to the next one. They're trying to do, it's like, everything's so great and interesting and I want to spend all this money and all this time learning every single one of them. And it, you know, it gets exhausting, it gets expensive. And, and the bottom line is if you at no point stop and say, 
all right, now I'm going to go do the thing. (laughs) At some point, you actually need to advertise and talk to a seller and make some offers. You can't just, you don't, you never make any money going to real estate courses. (laughs) Uh, You need to be dealing with real people and real problems and solving those problems and putting some capital to work and all of that important stuff. All right. Um, so uh, just got an email question. Uh, can you, this is from JC in Las Vegas. He says, can you ask Bob how to handle valuable relationships in a business when a deal goes bad wh- when neither party caused the problem? So this is, this is maybe one of those situations where instead of, you know, I made a bad decision or I did, you know, you didn't manage the property right or whatever, something just happened. They put a dump in the backyard of the house we bought together. Well, the key thing there is just to be honest. And there are so many times that people are afraid to give other people bad news. Whereas if you were just upfront about it and say, hey, this isn't working out and acknowledge that fact and don't try and blame somebody else for something that wasn't their fault. Just say, we're here. What are we going to do to move forward? Okay. So what does a typical day in Bob world look like these days? Well, when I'm not on vacation, uh, (laughs) I typically am up between 4.30 and 5, try to get to the office by, uh, I'll eat breakfast. Um, I listen to um, a little motivational thing every morning. Then I try to get to the office about 6 or so, so I can have an hour and a half or so of time before the world starts crashing in. I'll typically work on whatever it is I'm working on and deal with the people and that show up at my office to talk or call or whatnot till about one. Typically about one, I'll go out, get some exercise. Then typically I'm picking the kids up from school or heading home about three, four o'clock to eat dinner with everybody and start the day over again. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't go back to work at 9 p.m. after the whole family's asleep? I would bed by nine o'clock most days. <laughs> so it, it sounds like you've got a pretty firm delineation at this point between this is my work time and then this is my home slash family time. And I'm not, I'm not resenting being with my family because I want to go do some more work or something. No, I, and I will take phone calls after one o'clock. But you know, if I'm going out to dinner with my wife, I'm not on a Friday night at a nice restaurant. I'm not going to answer my phone and try and make a business deal happen. Life's too short for that. And at some point you need to have a real life and your family relationships need to be important because if you don't have the support there, that kills the business too. You've been doing this so long and have done so much that I think most people would probably see you as sort of being at the at the top of the residential real estate heap right there's just you know i mean at, at this point at this point what what more could bob possibly need to know or learn or do are there are there any things that you are currently sort of trying to learn to do or wish you knew that you didn't know or are 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 out actively studying the whole aspect of um systematizing my business and effectively managing the people that work for me um, and making sure that the business works like a business instead of Bob's little toy uh, is something that has always been a work in progress for me. And until 
you need to do those things you don't learn those skills and then you try them and mess them up a couple times and then you sort of finally get them a little bit better and but it's always a work in progress how do you how do you stay sharp you've been you've been doing the same not the same thing certainly but you've been you've been in this business for a long long time now like how do you how do you step back and sharpen the saw go on vacation I, I typically am out of town six to eight weeks a year. I'll typically, when I'm on vacation, work maybe an hour a day in the morning just to sort of keep things rolling. Uh, but I'm not working the whole time I'm on vacation. I'll, I typically am going to um, investor meetings and conferences and stuff like that. Uh, there's always something that I'm interested in learning about, and I need to do that two or three times a year. Uh, just uh, part of the reason that I'm valuable to the other people around me is there are things that I know that not everybody knows, and I need to continue to learn that just for my own curiosity and also so that I maintain my edge in the space. What does going on vacation do for you? It rebuilds my relationship with my family. And it gives me time to not be going at it all the time. And, so, and it also forces me to have other interests and in other things that I do. <laughs> Just like, you know, I love to go scuba diving. So it's good to focus on that for a while or... Just, you know, recently we've been going to Europe and exploring there. We're going to Australia in February. So just going to see those new things is always a lot of fun. And just, like, learning to even something simple like getting around another country is so different than the way we do things here. It sort of keeps your brain plasticized a little bit so that you're not stuck in the same rut doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that plasticity helps you be a better business person so that you're not stuck. If you could go back and talk to 22-year-old Bob, just just getting started in the business, you know, big big dreams, probably not, business didn't probably quite turn out the way that you had pictured it at the time, but what would you, what would you tell him to not do? Like, what, what would you say, just stop doing that because it's, it's not going anywhere? Low-income rentals. The numbers worked great for me on a spreadsheet, but I, after many years of beating my head against the wall and saying, but the spreadsheet works, but I keep seeming to be losing money here, I realized that I'm not the manager and those are not the properties for me. Now, there are other people that can do that very successfully. It's just not me. And there are just things that you can't be good at everything, and so you need to pick the things that you're good at and keep doing those things rather than the ones that you're not. Now I'm going to have to get somebody to come in on one of these interviews that's like doing really, really well in low-income rentals. You realize that, right? Well, I'll have to listen so that I can figure <laughs> out what I messed up. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think that that shows something that is kind of, um, I don't know, especially especially for people who live in their heads a lot, which I, I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs are very cerebral and they, 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 they can't understand why the spreadsheet isn't working and mm -hmm. and i and i think that it, it brings up something that that uh i've observed which is sometimes stuff just doesn't work for you that works for other people rehabbing does not work for me 
And I, uh, boy, I get it. I mean, there, you know, I, 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 I love looking at people's pictures of their rehabbed houses. I love the paychecks that they get. I, I love conceptually everything about it. But every time I do it, it's a disaster. Yeah, I've discovered a long time ago that I have many talents. Taste is not one of them. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's important to, to sort of at some point step back and maybe go on vacation, <laughs> step back and look at things and say, is my life so hard because my ladder is on the wrong wall? You know, I'm climbing it successfully, but it's against the wrong wall. Well, you need to love what you do. And if you don't love what you're doing, and you don't love the direction in which you're going, you're certainly doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to love the people you're working with and just, it shouldn't, you shouldn't wake up in the morning and say, man, I have to go do the X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, it should be, man, I get to go do this because I'm going to be excited when that gets done. Mm -hmm. Or I enjoy it, or I enjoy the people. or And it's not that nothing's work, but... Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Bob Dressman about... What, what makes him tick, what makes what he believes has made him so successful over the course of the last 25 plus years. We're also taking your calls at 877-772-9658. If you have any questions for Bob, you can email them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox, talking today to Bob Dressman. I've never heard of Bob Dressman. Well, if you're in the Cincinnati area, you probably have. And also, yeah, that's because he's not a guru. He's a really super successful investor in a uh, series that we're doing this year, just talking to super successful investors about how they accomplished what they accomplished, just in terms of their thought processes and so on. I would love to hear from you guys whether you like this kind of interview. You can just send, send an email to askvina at gmail.com and say, yeah, I really like the, we call them X-Factor interviews. Uh, and, or you can say, I really hate it. And I can, you know, I can stop doing it. I'm not like, you know, all rigid and everything. We're also taking your calls, 877-772-9658 or emails at askvina at gmail.com. Let's go to line one and talk to Phil, who is calling from Cleveland, Ohio, where I bet the weather is just beautiful today. Uh, yeah, it's, it's cold, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's getting better, I guess. Yeah, well, it's getting better because spring's coming. <laughs> and we can, we, can, we can stop dealing with these, you know sub sub freezing temperatures so what's your question phil well my question is uh, i was, i'm uh, looking to be you know get into the investing and uh my question was is is the wholesaling um you know in this area still the best way to to get started or or, or is it one of the best ways to get started wow there's so much in that question <laughs> that you, you don't even you don't even know you're asking um i mean and i'm gonna let i'm gonna let uh, Bob, take this, Phil. But just let me let me, let me say there's a you've got a you've got a very basic sort of misunderstanding about about real estate investing that I hear a lot of new investors express, and that is that there's some kind mm -hmm. of career path. There's some kind of career mm -hmm. path that goes I wholesale, and then I get enough money to retail, and then I get enough money to own some rentals, and then when I'm really doing well, I become a hard money lender, and it's 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 really not so. Um, but, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, you know, having said that, I'm going to actually let my guests talk and tell you what, what he thinks. Crazy idea. Uh, I, um, wholesaling is wonderful in that 
you learn what a deal is and what people are looking for, and you learn how to negotiate a really good deal. Because if you don't negotiate a really good deal, you're not going to be able to wholesale it to somebody. Mm -hmm. It is wonderful in that it gives you cash now. In my opinion, wholesaling is more like a job than real estate investing. That mm -hmm. there's no income stream that happens. You get a chunk of cash when you assign your contract or buy it and resell it. And so it's great to get started that way. But I have a buddy who did a lot of wholesaling and he said, wholesaling is sort of like being a shark. The minute you stop swimming and chasing something is the minute that your income stops and you don't have anything coming mm -hmm. in. And so mm -hmm. if you have the discipline to take that wholesale income, and yeah, it's fine to live off of some of it, but you need to actually invest some of it so that you can build your capital and uh, begin to understand the power of compounding so that you can actually develop wealth over time and develop some passive income, then that works brilliantly. And, and Phil, I suspect, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that part of the reason that you're asking the question has to do with like the current market, like what, what is happening in the market right now uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, lack of inventory and mm -hmm. increasing competition, which I'm hearing about mm -hmm. from everybody, every place in the whole country. Everybody thinks they live in the hottest market in the United States. And the, the answer is w what you're seeing out there is that there are more and more people looking to buy deals and there is not a corresponding increase in the number of listed properties out there. So it's driving days on market way down. It's driving uh, prices up, although not as not as fast as you might expect given the lack of inventory, especially in our part of the country. You know, in, in San Francisco, it's a different story. But the question that I would ask you about is wholesaling a good strategy in that market is if there was a gold rush, if there were a whole bunch of people running out to Cleveland, Ohio to buy gold, like they're running out to Cleveland, Ohio to buy properties, would you want to be digging for gold with them or would you want to be shelling, selling them picks and shovels and whiskey and all the things they would need to go do their gold rush thing? Right. I, yeah, it would be the second second uh, option. That's what wholesalers do. When people when people are, are you know looking for properties and they can't find them, and wholesalers have them, mm -hmm. it's a great time to be a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. So here here's the key skill for you. You ready? Yep. Finding the off market deals. You can't you can't fish in the same pond that all your buyers are fishing in, which is MLS listed properties and sheriff sales and the various auction sites and things like that, because they are already there looking for properties, and you would need to get them even cheaper than they're getting them in order to wholesale them for right. So you have to find properties that aren't on the market, and that means you need to study some stuff about marketing and door knocking and driving for dollars and things like that. Because I I got to tell you. As you as you may know, if you listen to the program, I still wholesale a lot of properties. And the current days on market for a property for me, from the day I put it under contract and tell people I have it till the day somebody has given me a check, is about three. Mm -hmm. About three days. Wow. 
So yes, it's it's uh, it, the 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 barrier to entry and wholesaling of of uh, how easy are the deals to get is the big barrier right now. So you go focus on that. You go focus on getting really really good at finding deals, and I promise you, there are people all over Cleveland who want those deals if they really are good deals. Wow. Okay. 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 Thanks for calling. All right. Call, I appreciate Phil. it. Oh, you're welcome. Try to stay warm. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, I also have a couple of questions here via email, Bob. I've got one here from Ben from Cincinnati who says, when did Bob get into uh, self-directed 401ks, CESAs, IRAs, et cetera, and how big a role do they play in his business now? So I started with the CESAs and the IRAs probably the late 90s, shortly after they invented the Roth IRA or the self-directed IRA. And then, uh, and that's played a huge biz- role in my business because that's where a lot of my long-term wealth has come because when you can compound money without having to pay taxes on it, it provides huge advantages. I only learned about um, self-directed 401ks about uh, three or four years ago. And when I figured that out, I'm like, man, that's brilliant, I should do that. And so I started doing that and have learned a lot about that since. So um, it's uh, I I have four kids in um, private and grade schools, high schools, and colleges that cost me a bundle of money, and my life would not be the same without their CESA accounts. Um, so that's provided huge advantages to us. Question from John. He says, "Great conversation. Like the new format. Yay!" <laughs> Can Bob talk about the structure of his business, for instance, the number of staff he has, and so on? Okay. Um, that's complicated. <laughs> uh, so I have uh, two people that work in my office. I have three virtual assistants in the Philippines. And then I have a bunch of maintenance contractor types. Uh, and that's about it. The maintenance contractor types, are they are they on salary or are they subcontractors of some sort? There's one that's on salary and the rest are subcontractors. The VAs, of course, would be subs. And what sort of things do you have the VAs do for you? Uh, I have one that does all my collections. And then I have two that answer my phones for people who are calling. And then they do some miscellaneous clerical tasks. I'm starting to have them do some accounting type of stuff, but that's a relatively new venture. And your two office people, what are their responsibilities? Um, Brenda's worked for me for probably 23 years or something crazy. Um, And she does um, payables and receivables. And... Tim just started working for me and he deals with all the miscellaneous stuff that I used to have to do that I don't get to do anymore. So he deals with the people coming in and um, figuring out what's going on with this um, property management properties problem with Section 8. Um, He's a licensed mortgage loan originator, so that's one of the things that is important with my work for equity deals since I do a bunch of those. So he originates those, he screens all the applications. sort of he's the buffer between the rest of the world and myself okay 
And you're set up as an LLC, a corporation, multiple? I have multiple um, self-directed retirement accounts, LLCs, limited partnerships. I probably, my tax returns are a four-inch binder every year. (laughs) Uh, Peggy asks the question, what is that motivational thing Bob listens to in the morning? I listen to Darren Daly every morning. Uh, He is somewhat countercultural, but gives really good advice that you might not always like, but it's generally good advice. Um, Michael from Tampa, uh, this this one's my fault because I, I try not to use acronyms, says, Bob spoke of CISAs. I'm not sure I'm even spelling this right. What is a CISA? <laughs> a Coverdale Education Savings Account. And I was terrified that they were going to blow them up in tax reform. But the House bill was going to, but the Senate bill didn't, but the Senate bill prevailed, so they are still in existence. And I can't tell you how many people, when I thought they were blown up, said, man, I was going to do that, and were so disappointed and had this crestfallen look on their face. So if you have somebody who's young enough that they can use one, you should go start it right away before the powers that be get rid of them. Because the time to do things is now, not tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Question from Jessica in um, Youngstown. She says, can you discuss not waiting for a perfect deal and just getting started? I still haven't pulled the trigger successfully and hit the target with that. So the question is not whether a deal is perfect, but whether it's good enough. And so I am the first one to walk away from a deal that I'm not going to make money at. But you're not going to find the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood that needs a thousand dollars worth of work that you can resell and make a hundred thousand dollars on. That's just not the way of the world. Um, but you need to, there are so many people that overthink things and worry about things that just, you can't be worrying about. It's basically, can you buy it cheap enough? Well, it depends on your strategy, but you need to know what your criteria are and it either meets them or doesn't and then move forward from there and not worry about, well, a nuclear bomb could come and hit it, and would I have insurance <laughs> for that? Or, you know, what would happen if, blah, blah, you know, it's just, you need to take into account likely things to happen, not the crazy things that happen. When you were a little newbie back in the day, looking back, what do you think, the most important thing you did or the most important decision that you made as a new investor that got you where you are today was? Actually, at the time, being a real estate agent was very helpful to me dealing with other investors because I got to see how other people operated and saw the people who were being successful and the people that just were not cutting it. And it gave me the chance to analyze a lot of different deals without me actually being the one to do all those deals. And it also helped me grow my network and get to know a lot of people because that's sort of the nature of that business is you need to get to know people. Um, And it forced me out of my comfort zone uh, to talk to all those different people and learn from them. Very good. A question here. I'm sorry, I had it up on my screen and then I scrolled up and of course now it is gone. So I will ask you one of my questions while I am scrolling back through the screen and not make the listeners listen to me scrolling through the screen. (laughs) Um, So 
you're you're somewhat plugged into the real estate education world as opposed to the real estate world. Right? There's the world of actually doing it, and then there's the world of learning it. Is there any bad advice that you're consistently hearing new investors get? That you need to spend $50,000 before you're qualified to buy a deal. It's the... And anybody that tells you they found this brilliant new strategy that nobody's ever tried before is lying to you because the stuff that makes you successful has been around for hundreds of years. And yeah, there are little tweaks here and there. And you can, by going to your local real estate investors association, you can get a lot of the knowledge that you need for free. Now, I'm not saying you never have to pay for education. Education is hugely valuable. But when you get education, you absolutely need to use it rather than just by course after course after course after course. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a definite push in in what I call the real estate education mills, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is different different than the you know the, most RIA groups. At least they have it in their head that they're really trying to do some serious vetted training. And a lot of the a lot of the quote, quote gurus actually do care whether you succeed or not. Mm-hmm. And then there's the mills that are just grinding people up and spitting them out the back end and don't seem to have a lot of uh, concern about anything other than did we get the last dollar we can get out of you before we spit you out the back end. And there's a there's a very strong message coming from those mills that that you are literally if you don't get a university level education both in terms of how many hours you've sat in a classroom and how much money you've spent your life is going to be horrible as a real estate investor you're either going to miss deals that you should have gotten or you're going to do deals you shouldn't have gotten something terrible is going to happen and oh i hate that message well a good rule of thumb is once you've spent some money on real estate education you need to have made four or five times that amount from doing deals before you go spend more money on education Question from Dave in Philadelphia. How did Bob determine what it is that he was great at? Whether I made money or not. (laughs) (laughs) And and you laugh, but there are an astonishing number of people that can't tell you whether they're making money on certain deals. They're like, well, my spreadsheet says my mortgage is this and my... um, Income should be this, so of course I'm making money. Why is there no money in the bank? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy concept that you'd actually look at all your income and all your expenses and see if there's anything left over at the end of the day. What question were you hoping that I would ask that I did not ask? Like, What is it that you want to say to the world that I haven't given you an opportunity to say? Um, one of the things that I try and do is compete in an area where nobody else wants to play. So in my hard money lending business, I'm not the cheapest guy out there. I'm probably the most expensive. But I'm the guy you call when you have a deal that needs to close two days from now and everybody else has already messed it up. In my owner financing business, nobody else is, you know, the banks aren't willing to lend people money now on some $50,000 houses or anybody that has less than perfect credit. So I'm the guy that people come to for that. And when you're competing in a market that nobody else wants to play in, it's not hard to succeed. Interesting. So for folks who can make it to tomorrow night's Cincinnati RIA meeting, which is 
at the Ramada Inn over on Chester Road. Uh, and download a guest pass if you're not a member at CincinnatiRia.com. What are you going to tell them tomorrow night? I'm going to tell them how they can make astonishing returns on their money without having to fix up houses and without having to deal with any tenants. Wow, if they don't want to show up for that, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, again, that is CincinnatiRia.com. The meeting is tomorrow night. And uh, uh, do stop by for the 530 um, dinner, free dinner, networking. Your chance to like start building some relationships, like Bob says. Come and talk to me. Come talk to Bob, yeah. Six o'clock, uh, how to use Google to build your business or how to choose your exit strategy. And then 7.30, Bob talking about his current favorite strategy, repair for equity. Robin Thompson is our guest next week, so do not miss that show. We will be back then to with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.